on this fifth Sunday in Lent, the scriptures today invite us to get ready. They uh, invite us to to heighten all of our senses, if we can, to, to listen, to look, to taste and see and to feel. I am about to do a new thing, says the Lord through Isaiah. God says to us, do you not perceive it? Can you not sense it? Something is about to change. That section, we hear those words from Isaiah, comes from a larger section that promises good things to the people of Israel, but it's a hard sell for Isaiah to make. The people of Israel, the remnant of them, that is, are still held in captive. They're a long way from home. Babylon has the upper hand, and the people of Israel only have the hope of returning home. But Isaiah says, God says through Isaiah, hang on, hang on, Israel, it's going to get better. I will make a way. I will bring water to the thirsty and food to the hungry. I'll lead you out of all of this into a better place. The psalm of the day sings of just that sort of deliverance by God. It's known by scholars as a pilgrimage psalm, and people believe that this psalm and many like it were used as the people of God would travel from one place to another. Uh, People would gather to make a trip to the temple in Jerusalem and, and would sing psalms like this one. It's a way to celebrate the Passover. It's the the kind of procession we'll enact next Sunday within the church as, as palms were waved and waved away forward for Jesus. And then the gospel of the day continues this sort of leaning forward right up to the edge of Jerusalem. The gospel takes place in the city of Bethany, which really is on sort of the edge of modern Jerusalem. It's today's West Bank, about a mile and a half east of the temple in Jerusalem. It's not far in proximity, not far geographically, but it's also not far emotionally and spiritually from the events that we will reimagine and re-explore in Holy Week. Each of the gospels has a version of a woman who who comes to Jesus and falls at his feet and anoints his feet with holy oil or ointment or perfume of some kind. But each gospel varies in its approach and what it tries to convey. I believe it's Matthew's gospel that mentions a woman with an alabaster jar. It's, it's that image that an author took and ran with some years ago. And so the book, The Woman with the Alabaster Jar, was a, was a bestseller. And, and the book sort of concludes in, in a non-historical and non-biblical way that the, the woman with the alabaster jar was Mary Magdalene. And um, off the story goes, and Dan Brown picks it up, and it appears again in the Da Vinci Code. And so all sorts of things get confused. It's a long, long way from Scripture. John's portrayal of the woman who kneels at Jesus' feet is much clearer. It's about Mary of Bethany. We know that Mary, it's, it's a family, Mary and Martha and their brother Lazarus. It's that same Mary, Mary and Martha, who, who argue when Martha's doing all the work in the kitchen and Mary is just listening to Jesus. It's that same family where Lazarus is thought to be dead 
And they send for Jesus and Jesus' feelings for his friends, Mary, Martha, and Lazarus, are so strong that Jesus weeps. But Jesus returns to Bethany and Lazarus is resuscitated and, and raised to life. It's that family, that, that cluster of friends that Jesus is with, just on the edge of Jerusalem, just on the edge of the events we remember with Holy Week. Mary anoints Jesus' feet. Judas tries to make something else of it, but Jesus names it for what he understands it as. No, she's anointing me for burial. We wonder how loudly he said it, whether his friends or, or the others in the room even heard what he said. But Jesus took that act of love and sacrifice as one of the final acts of love he would receive. And so he appreciated it for all that it was worth. Judas shows up just in time to criticize, to misunderstand, and to miss the significance. Yet again, we get the sense that Judas misses the significance of Jesus throughout his interaction with Jesus. Judas's point of view is taken up soon after this, as the religious leaders get together and decide that because of Jesus' raising of Lazarus, something has to be done to stop Jesus Jesus is getting too popular. The people are losing their minds over Jesus, one of the leaders says. And so today's gospel, in many ways, sets the stage for next Sunday, Palm Sunday, the Sunday of the Passion, and Holy Week to follow. Jesus is with those good friends But it hints of what's coming. Lazarus's raising to temporal life, of course, sort of hints and foreshadows the raising of Jesus to new life and and through Jesus the raising of all of us. It begins to reveal the power of God in Christ, that power that will be fully let loose on Easter morning with not only resurrection from death, but victory over sin and death through sin. Judas's criticism also foreshadows the betrayal that will come in the Garden of Gethsemane. Mary's anointing again hints at the women who will go to the tomb to anoint Jesus' body and there discover that the tomb is empty. The story also sets, sets into motion a pattern, a pattern for friendship with Jesus, a pattern of friendship that's open and available to all of us. In that beautiful letter to the Philippians, St. Paul writes about how nothing in his life matters except for his relationship with Christ. The fact that he's a Jew doesn't matter to him. The fact that he's a Roman citizen doesn't matter. The fact that he's learned and educated doesn't matter. That he's a person of some standing doesn't matter. His friendships, his family, his experiences, his eloquence, all of that is rubbish, Paul says. The thing that matters, he says, is that I may gain Christ and be found in him. Paul says he wants to know the full power of the resurrection from the dead. And while he doesn't yet know it, Paul says, I press on. I press on because Christ Jesus has made me his own. 
I think we can pause for a moment and marvel at here Paul is. Paul who seems to know everything there is to know about Jesus. Jesus appears to him and at the point of his conversion. Jesus is in his words and his speech and his behavior. And Jesus is the whole reason that Paul has changed his life and changed course. And puts his life on the line day after day after day. And yet Paul is saying, I want to know Jesus more. I want to know Jesus more deeply. I think that opens up that question for us. Do we want to know Jesus? Do we seek to know him more deeply? Do we put ourselves in the place, in the state of mind, in the state of the spirit, so that we can receive Jesus as friend Some of us might be a little uneasy about that idea of Jesus, my friend. (laughs) Growing up in the South, I heard a lot of language about Jesus, our friend, as though Jesus is a buddy who is called upon to find a parking space or make a light green or bail us out when we're really, really in trouble. That's not to take away the strong, sure, deeply faithful image that Jesus longs to be. Yes, our friend. He's a friend to Martha and Mary and to Lazarus. Jesus is a friend to Paul. Jesus is a friend to Mary Magdalene. Jesus is a friend to all those who will have his friendship. And of course, the physical body of Christ is is not ours to anoint or, or touch or befriend. And yet, Christ has told us very clearly where to find his body. Don't look in a tomb, he says, and don't even look so much in scripture. Instead, look around. Look into the eyes of another sister or brother. Look in the world for the expression of God's incarnation all around us. In trying to explain the kingdom of God, Jesus talks about the opportunity to meet God in those who are hurting, in those who are in need. Jesus says very clearly, I was hungry and you gave me food. I was thirsty and you gave me something to drink. I was a stranger and you welcomed me. I was a naked and you I was naked and you gave me clothing. I was sick and you took care of me. I was in prison and you visited me. Sometimes we meet Christ in the stranger. Sometimes we meet Christ in all those various examples. Sometimes we meet Christ in the person nearest to us. Sometimes we meet Christ in ourselves. Christ is met in the stranger and the friend, but also we encounter Christ at the altar. In Holy Communion, we become one with him. We become one with one another, at least in prayer, at least in potential. In sharing this holy meal, we we pray that we would be made in one body. We would be made into the family of God on this earth. In the eating and the drinking, we take into ourselves the body and the blood of Christ. And so we become like him. In other people, in Holy Communion, and through prayer, Christ seeks to befriend us. Like any friendship, it takes time. Any friendship takes talking and listening. It takes sharing of ourselves and it takes a little bit of abstinence of self so as to to allow for the other. With a real friend, we can be ourselves. No pretenses, just comfort. 
A friend can challenge us. A friend can change us. A friend's presence sometimes can give us all we need to get through the day, to get through the hour. Jesus offers this kind of friendship. This side of heaven, we don't have the easy sort of friendship with Jesus that Mary and Martha and Lazarus had. But we still have the possibility of Christ as our friend. He invites us to that same immediacy through other people, through daring to be in relationship, in common union with one another, through communion, by receiving the body and blood of our Lord Jesus Christ, and through the mystery of prayer. As we hear his voice, as we sense his presence, as we give of ourselves toward this one who wants to be our friend. In the coming days, as we remember the stories that take us along with Jesus to Jerusalem, may the Holy Spirit quicken within us a sense of Christ, our friend. Jesus, our friend, alongside and within. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen.